So there's a huge question that's facing us this morning. It's a question that doesn't go away from your practice. And that is, well, now what? And the resolution of that question has been on people's minds virtually, I'm sure, from the time of the Buddha. It seems like there's too much out there to get it together. (laughs) I can't get it together. There's too much out there. I I need to go be a nun. Well, for most of us, that isn't the appropriate lifestyle. For some, for one, for I don't know how many, it may be, but for most of us, it's not the appropriate lifestyle to cloister our life. And at some point, a cloistered life feels just like that, a cloistered life. And presence doesn't cloister itself. Presence doesn't contain itself. It doesn't hold itself in a certain way. It's when one understands the truth of non-exclusion, then that openness has its effect on everything we do. But there are times in which seclusion and cloistered living is the appropriate thing, like this weekend. Coming and taking some time and generating that sense of self-reflection, looking at the events of the last year and reflecting upon one's own life in relationship to those events and where is the terror in me, the terrorism in me? Because if there's terror, it's only a short step to terrorism. And keeping enough of the ground that we walk on present in our life so that we continue to resonate with the ground. Access to nature. Flowers in your house. I don't know. Plants. Something. Okay. We fill our lives so filled with people and when we do that, what we, what is people generated and how we hold people often isn't the resonance of nature, but the troubling reactions, intrapsychic reactions we have and not being who they think we should be and saying something and checking ourselves and that constant commentary comes into play. I don't have that commentary and most of us don't when we're standing beside an oak tree because we don't feel judged by the oak tree. But as soon as another person pops up in the field in the woods, the oak tree becomes nothing and the person becomes everything. Now, am I standing tall enough? How am I quiet enough? Am I eating slowly enough? Am I looking like I'm meditating? The oak tree doesn't care. (laughs) So, people, ah, And you can begin to see that we're all healing 
together. We're all doing this together. It's an evolution of human consciousness. It's not just me. I'm going to heal myself and see everybody later. It's all of us because we all hold each other in each other's hell. And unless we all heal together, I don't think it's possible because the sense of safety is so important and we can't find that safety when there's a kind of manipulation and exploitation that's going on in the world. And so for a long time we seek out that safety within the pockets of known people. You live with someone for a while and you know they're, and if they really are committed to change, suddenly they don't want to harm anymore. There's a basic change in consciousness, the fundamental shift in consciousness when one is securely on a spiritual path in growth. I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to harm. And then the understanding of what that means, both within one's psyche and interpersonally, becomes the path. And we each have these moments in which awareness is present, which we discard. Every one of us probably have felt the resonance of stillness this weekend. But it's felt from the positionality of self. Well, that was interesting. I've got to go back and get that again. Wonder how that experience arose. Rather than taking the position that you're a person being aware, shift the reference that your awareness having the experience of being a person. And that your natural state is the state of awareness. And that this personness comes in when there's something functional to do in the in life. But the person doesn't have to be aware. <coughs> Awareness just has to be allowed to flower because it's covered by the person. The person is the shade on the window that keeps the sun from coming in. And so when we're in those moments of awareness, let your selfhood be secondary to that sense of awareness itself. And the more we live embodying <coughs> the presence of awareness, the less identified we will be when the self comes back in. Now we're just trying to get out of our skin and there's no skin to get out of.
So what's the way? How do we do this? What, we take something very precious, and maybe we've touched something very precious this weekend. I hope you have. And if it's been seen for what it is, it will take its proper place on your mantle, which is first place. It'll be your prize trophy. And the cultivation of that will be what the direction that you want your life to take. Everything else is so secondary to that. I was thinking, you know, in the blip of the evolutionary calendar, just to say a mere 100,000 years, all works of life, all buildings, everything we have constructed, everything that we have said, perhaps the earth itself will be no more. What good would it have done? on a blip in the evolutionary, all the things that we put so much worth and stake into it, gone into the vacuum of space. And we work our whole lives in order to write a book. Paint a picture. And if we don't allow our heart to come in, if our heart, what has our life been about? Because the evolution of the heart will continue if you give it the right attention. be awful if there was only one way that everyone unfolded. We'd all be lined up. We'd just follow lockstep together. The art of spiritual practice, the science is knowing what we've been talking about and seeing the problems and seeing what the Solutions are, that's the science of it. But the art is, the art. See, it's not just one side of the brain, it's the whole of the brain. The art is, in one's own individual path, what one needs, what one feels, where their resonance is. Oh, I need some therapy here. I need to get back into working with this particular problem. I haven't works sufficiently in the direction of relationship. I'm afraid of intimacy. That's where the source of my conflict is, where I pull back from life. Let me go there. And it doesn't feel complete to just be with it because there's still resistance and there's something there that I'm still... So let me get into some therapeutic inner relationships, understand this thing, experience it, get into the heart of this thing in order to open it up 
not to draw conclusions about open it up experience the pain that is so terrifying go open it up now i have to practice it so then once i see a problem it's not good enough just to rub up against it every once in a while i actually move in the direction that's most healing so if i'm afraid of relationships and intimacy i move i look for opportunities to step into intimacy at work i may sit there and divulge some personal life where i've held myself so resonant in that way i okay yeah i had a hard time yeah i'm having a hard time just something to to move to to exercise that muscle the muscles that need to be exercised so look at your life and think of three or four points three or four actions that you need to take in order to grow more into openness non-exclusivity in order to bring your heart out more where is the heart hiding is another way to say it okay so that's going to that's it okay intimacy i get very reactive when i'm da 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 whatever it may be where is the pain body showing itself It's very helpful to have a sitting, a daily sitting practice because a daily sitting practice, now let me talk about this because this is important. A daily sitting practice orients ourselves to the right way to view ourselves in the world. When you're sitting, when we're sitting, it's not so much volition, is it? I've got to get rid of this and out goes that and it's really the opposite of that it's receptivity you're just hanging out with what is going on being aware of what's going on so the sense of volition or self is in abeyance the sense of life or awareness is being maximized and you're seeing that life goes on for the 45 minutes or however long you're sitting you know the grass grows and the birds sing doesn't need so much of my in interference another thing very important is happening while we're sitting we're aligning ourselves with the right view of life and this is a very important thing in the eightfold path wise view is the banner the first step the banner step of all the next seven steps it's the sense of being connected when we're meditating we're the most connected we probably are in any part of our day because we're just receiving things it's just the intimacy the 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 softness of heart is there the intimacy is there and therefore the awareness is there therefore life is right there with us see we're not trying to distance ourselves 
like looking through a telescope, we're not trying to, with the wrong end of binoculars, we're not trying to, we're trying to bring it in because it's the sense of distance that is the problem. And when we relinquish our resistance, life pours in through the hole that we've created. Pours in and pours out. And the whole thing... So, when I'm sitting, I'm very close to that. I'm still getting in, in, interfering. I'm still believing in my thoughts. And my thoughts are still weighing in as separation. You know, how's this going? Well, this is going okay. And, and that pain doesn't feel so good. I'm still, But it's less volition. It's less driven. It's more receiving. It's, this is the old stuff that's coming up, not new stuff that's being created. It's where you put your energy, and the energy is coming back at you, but you're not out there creating more volition, right? Okay, so at that point, wise view is beginning to be felt and viewed. You get a sense of that. So when you come out of the meditation, don't hurry yourself out of that view. Let yourself, Let your eyes be soft. Let your heart be soft and just move around from that sense of softness a little bit. If you can give yourself some time to make breakfast and just do things at a time in that very simple way to cultivate that sense of softness and wise view, just being connected with things. That sense of connectedness is the avenue, the road that we travel towards being awake. So, Anything that, anything that intersects that sense of connectedness, that road of connectedness, if I find myself taking the intersection and turning right or turning left, I'm out, I'm off the main path. And believe me, we take a step and then we're off the main path. We take another step, we're all, we constantly find ourselves for most of us, we constantly find ourselves off the main purpose that we want our life to be about, which is connecting. So we have to use the warning lights. Okay, I'm on the road of connection. And now here comes anger. So I take a right with anger. And I say, God, this doesn't feel like connection to me. This field doesn't feel like connection. So then we say, okay, anger is in connection. What's anger do? Anything that divides, we're going to be in pain with. Anger, fear, irritation, annoyance, impatience, all those things are divisive ways that we, and we feel them. We feel, we feel pain. So pain is the indication that we've taken a left or a right turn. Now, if we use the pain properly, we can get back on the road of connection. But mostly, we just keep, we love the sense of power and sense of, 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 of ourselves being so personified, so, I'm so outlined, you know, and when, I, when I'm self-righteous by God, I'm, I'm looking down at everybody, right? It's like, Worse, Arnold Schwarzenegger of the <laughs> Terminator One. <laughs> so we, so we have to, 
I mean, it's there, there's a lot that's going on there, and it's not. I, when I say this, I realize that it's a, a long-term project, but that is painful. And at some point you go, oh, this is ridiculous. Where does this take me? Where does it take you? In a hundred thousand years, where is your anger going to take you? Well, I'll tell you where it's going to take you. We've seen it. So I'm not going there. Now when I say I'm not going there, that's not a rejection of the anger. It's a surrender into the anger. Okay, let me feel it. Now, the moment we're willing to feel the anger, we're back in connection. We're back on the road of connection. See? It's only a simple movement, a simple switch away. We go to the pain, which means we're resisting the anger. Okay. All right. Back to step one. Then when we're connected to the anger, we're connected. We're back on the road. So I feel that. I feel I just don't put anything in between myself. And then I think, okay, now let me listen to the other person's point of view. And so I say, okay, tell me your side of this. The person I'm angry with. When I'm listening to what the other person's point of view is, listen to this, because this is... When I'm genuinely hearing what someone has to say to me, and I'm not defending myself against what somebody is saying, I have to drop my anger. I, because my anger is a point of view that won't allow listening to occur. So in order to listen, I can't listen and hold on to my point of view at the same time. So I have to release myself from the anger in order for their point of view to actually get in. So my willingness to listen is in fact the dissolution of anger. Which means what when I've listened? It means I'm more connected. And now I'm on the road really. Okay. So everything in life that has seemed to take us off of and been dead-end streets, I now begin to build up into the superhighway of connection, which doesn't exclude anything. Everything now which seemed to have been side pursuits and individual thises and egocentric, now, when I view it in the right way, it's the superhighway. But I have to know the warning signs of being off the main highway. And that warning sign is pain. And then I have to be willing to give up or release myself from the empowerment and the personal identity that that pain allows. And that's very difficult to do because you don't want to be no one. You want to be righteous. 
And that's true humility. True humility. Because you can't lay claim to presence. You can't take a personal stake of identity and awareness. There's no ownership there. It's like the wind. And we have to be finished being... having isolated ourselves. We have to finish being separate. Meaning we have to have had a lot of suffering before we want to end it. Because those two go hand in hand. Another tool that keeps me on the highway of connection are the precepts. Precepts, think of them not as moral statements of being good. It's the wrong way to think about them. That's If you think about the precepts as moral statements of being good, you've taken a right turn. and maybe way down that highway because you can go a long time on that one. But the way the precepts are, they're warning lights that we've stepped off the path. They're warning lights. They're like, they're beautiful. They are warning lights. They are um, like an electric fence that lines the path of connection. And as soon as I step off into the gutter, I get shocked a little bit. Refrain from taking life. The moment I... It feels awful. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to do that. You got rid of the mosquito, but the hate lingers. So we go, oh, God, that's, that doesn't feel... It doesn't, you see, again, it's that willingness to feel the pain of what we're doing to ourselves rather than the exterminator instinct, we feel the impact of the action. And anyway, how can snubbing out one form of life bring you closer to connection? How can the eradication, the elimination of a particular population Bring you, make you more connected. If there just weren't any mosquitoes in the world, I could relax. <laughs> or terrorists. So to refrain from taking, to refrain from taking life allows you the refrain is important because it is the willingness to pause. And that willingness to pause is where the heart comes in. The heart doesn't come in, mosquito slap. The heart comes in, mosquito up. Okay, let's see. <laughs> All right.
You see, the pause, presence, the pause, is the pause for presence. Okay, let me bring as much clarity to this as possible. So then you make decisions based on that clarity, and they're not always decisions that doesn't mean putting an end to things. I mean, if you take antibiotics, when you take a step out in the lawn, when you breathe in, you're killing things. So what extreme are you going to go to? Well, you need to live, and you need to be relaxed in your life. And life lives on life. That's the way it lives. So it's, and there are many Buddhists who eat meat. It's not to be necessarily to be a, to to make it into a, a. Again, we can very easily take any of these things and take a right or left turn. It's not to make the the philosophy so um, restrictive that we feel like we're in prison. It's to respect and connect with life. To refrain from taking what isn't offered. The heart of presence is the heart of generosity. It's where one wants to give back, not just detract from. And so if we just pause, what's the right thing to do here? I was... Um, in, I was teaching at Cloud Mountain, which is a little retreat center uh, south of Seattle. And uh, there's a path from the dining hall to the meditation hall, in which is a little Buddha shrine. And the Buddha shrine, people stop and put little things there, leaves and that sort of thing. And this particular retreat, uh, there wasn't a lot of sweets being offered by the cooks. And I was uh, craving chocolate. And somebody had taken a little chocolate square, one of those little Hershey things, and placed it on the Buddha shrine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm walking from the meditation hall to, uh, from the dining hall to the meditation hall, thinking, God, I'd love to have a piece of chocolate. <laughs> when my eyes light upon that thing. And I look around, nobody's looking. <laughs> and it's a damn sculpture. And I said, that Buddha, that Buddha doesn't need that chocolate. <laughs> what good's it going to do him? And as soon as the impulse came to reach, the mindfulness came in. I said, okay. And I walked on. And it was like... I felt it was exactly like a lightning bolt of conditioning hit me and was grounded by the mindfulness. It was like that. So that it came through in all of its glory, but it just went out. It just went through. It was grounded immediately. Mindfulness can work for us in that way or can work against us. If we take it under the guise of wrong view, which is meaning that I'm separate from you and somehow I need to get over my separation by being mindful, 
then mindfulness can feel like a burden that you're putting onto your life. Oh, reaching, reaching, reaching. to, And inside you're going, oh, I'm so irritated by the slowness. I want to just drinking, drinking, drinking. And, and it can work counterproductively because mindfulness in its heart is the spirit of the alignment of wise view, which is connectedness. And if we establish connection first, then mindfulness is automatically going to be there. You can't be connected without being aware. So get yourself into, under the provision of wise view through using these different things like the precepts and, and excursions into anger or fear. And then we just, and then we just walk, walk ourselves towards greater and greater connectedness. And the mindfulness shows us where we're, resistances are more subtle and subtle, are more and more subtle. And so then you get more and more connected, more connected, more connected, more connected. And the mindfulness just keeps showing where it is that the boundaries, we keep placing boundaries between ourselves and things. But it has to be done under wise view and with wise intention and direction. Which way are we going here? Am I trying to make a statement of myself being mindful? I've been practicing 25 years. And I've just been practicing about myself. Is that what it's about? Was it about connected, being connected? So anything I put in my path that obstructs connection, that's a challenge for me. Now, one thing that has been very helpful to many people is the use of a word. So, sometime perhaps in the course of this weekend, you heard a word that resonated with you. Contentment, love, connection, awareness. It can be any word. Wholeness, presence doesn't matter. What, is, what does matter is that the resonance of that word is individually selected. You have a word that is different than my word. My word for a long time was death. Now we can use our life, and I think this is very important for lay Buddhists, we can use that word to bring us into a sense of connectedness through that word. And because the word resonates with us, there's some excitement about having that word and some um, joy in using that word. So let us say it's connection. So now you just say, okay, from time to time you just drop a question into your predicament, into your situation where you feel annoyed or Where is there connection in this moment? That question is not a philosophical question that we try to discursively answer in terms of our thinking. It's, a, it's, like, it's like a lead weight that drops right to the bottom. It's like, where is there contentment in this moment? It takes you right to the point in which there is not contentment, in which there is resistance, and then you go, oh. And then when you bring awareness to that sense of contention, Okay, accept it. Say yes to it. Now the weight continues to fall. 
It stops at the layer and where there's resentment because there's no contentment there. And then we say yes to it, and then it continues to fall. Right on down to the ground that we live under. And so you just can carry a word with you in the midst of this or that. Where's their contentment in Israel? Sometimes it's no more than just, okay, let me listen to what you're saying, Christ. You know, and sometimes we just—it doesn't matter how deep the the sinker goes. Once it's on, once it hits the water, you're on the road. You're on the right avenue, right? The right street. You're on the street of connection. Let me. Okay, what now? And sometimes it doesn't even get to the water, and we know it's not getting to the water, and then we're all right too. But don't fool yourself and pretend that you are because then it's not anywhere to be seen. Now, I I suggest this kind of work rather than going out and doing service work because I don't believe that all of us resonate with service work. And that we think that we should, if I'm connected, I should go out and serve the homeless. If I really had it together, I would, you know, work for the salvation of, I don't know, the dolphins. I don't know. (laughs) And that may be where your heart resonance is, but it may not be where your heart resonance is. The point is that we're doing what makes us come alive rather than what we think we should do in order to come alive. And the difference between those statements is the difference between the thought dimension and the present dimension. And it may be that you're interested in science and discovering the cures of this or that, or in looking in a microscope, or working on social policy issues, And that's the resonance. And you feel your aliveness coming from the excitement of what that resonance is. Rather than thinking, look at me, I'm nowhere in my spiritual practice. I'm not helping the homeless. They're still out on the street. Here's a quarter. uh, (laughs) That doesn't work. That doesn't work. You go to your aliveness and uncover that. And just fostering and feeding your aliveness. And it's with children or with this or that. You just keep coming to that and asking that question that keeps you from feeling more alive within that particular interest. And the interests are so important because the interests are the points in which you and life are, it's like you put your hand in taffy and then you, or peanut butter or something real sticky. And then you pull it out and there's like all this stickiness that stays even as you start pulling your hand away from the taffy. That's interest. It's the sticky part. It's the point where life can touch you. It's still touching you. Right? So we're not necessarily completely integrated in it, but it has its greatest resonance through our interest. Doesn't that make sense? 
And so if we pursue those interests and uncover greater and greater connectedness through those interests, we delight in the path that we're leading. And at the same time, the path unfolds for us with deeper and deeper joy. And for me, it was death. Perverse as that may seem, I said, man, there's a lot of... I saw aliveness in death. I said, well, I'm, because I felt so much fear about dying, I said, well, I'm not very alive. When, and I find my whole life kind of being a shelter from the storm of death. I said, okay, this is ridiculous. Open up the damn barn. Come on, go. Okay, let me see what's going on here. And as you... So where is her death in this moment? Where am I still asserting my need, my opinions, my... Where is there death from all that in this moment? You see, that's the question you just... Where is there? Wow. So you can take any question to the depth. All the questions... It's like a porcupine. All the needles go to the body. <laughs> <laughs> All go, it's a, there's a central substrata of truth that your heart will find on the path of connectedness. And it's um, the path of joy. There's just nothing that's as... Uh, interesting when you're really in the midst of your spiritual growth. Yes, difficult, painful. God, I've got to look at my damn lack of intimacy. Oh, geez, I don't want to. Okay, dear, come here. <laughs> but that's what it means. It means the heart begins to... Feel, feel, feel it. Don't leave in here without having a taste of the salt, of the joy of that resonance. And then you'll never forget it. One taste is all you need. One taste of presence. And forever your tongue will move in that direction because the thirst will continue the urge, the need to satiate yourself until you just come back home and when we rest, so shall we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.